Hello and welcome back to the IDC Tech Talk podcast. My name is Miles Dawson, I am your host today, and uh, today we're going to be returning to the world of artificial intelligence, or AI. And specifically, we're going to be looking into the hardware market that underpins this market. So for this, I'd like to welcome uh, Jack Vernon back to the podcast. Hello, Jack. Hi, Miles. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And yourself? Good. Glad to hear it. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, trying to not think too much about uh, what's going on in the world at the moment. Absolutely. I think it's, it's, it's a refreshing change from my usual coverage to talk about something a bit different today. Um, and uh, I wonder if you could give us, just um, for our listeners' sake, just a quick introduction to yourself and your role at IDC. Yeah, so I'm a senior research analyst covering the European artificial intelligence market, dealing with various topics in relation to like AI and hardware, but also uh, AI platforms and AI software. So hopefully you should be able to give you a a good little tour of um, the hardware market today. Absolutely. Now, um, usually when when there's a new exciting piece of software that emerges on the market or a new initiative like artificial intelligence, it's not often that the conversation is, is, is pushed towards the underlying hardware required to run the software. So could you explain to us why has AI caused so much discussion about the hardware side of things? Okay, so I think, first of all, it's important to sort of say that improvements in hardware has been really key to enabling uh, the development of AI in the enterprise, which now serves a whole range of applications from playing board games like Go to building simulations of how climate change uh, might play out in 30 years time to even developing vaccines and uh, uh, treatments to COVID-19 potentially. So the important thing here is that the AI techniques that power these applications were mostly conceived 30 to 40 years ago. It's just taken until far more recently to have the hardware platforms and data systems capable enough to realize these techniques in real world applications as we do today. The conversation around hardware remains important because it is still cited as a major major constraining factor in our ability to train, uh, run and deploy algorithms whether that's in terms of the price and power consumption uh, needed to build and run the algorithms uh, to their, the hardware's capability in terms of ingesting enough data to train them to a point where they're accurate enough, or even being able to sort of realize new AI approaches as was the issue sort of 30 years ago. Oh, so that's interesting. So what kind of use cases are causing these challenges? So I think it's important to say, first of all, that not everything that falls under the the bracket of AI, if you like, necessarily requires like a specialized compute platform or is particularly intensive. So there's a number of techniques within machine learning that we can run sort of perfectly okay today on standard computing platforms. Um, however, there are a sort of range of use cases uh, that are powered by deep learning and that really requires special considerations around hardware. Deep learning is really powering our best approaches to things like image recognition, natural language processing, voice recognition, and some data analytics. And uh, previously researchers were finding that it was taking them weeks to train and run uh, AI algorithms uh, in the kind of deep learning space on CPUs to a standard that would then enable them to be used by enterprises. That was until uh, researchers started using 
graphics processing units or GPUs, and they and they found that they dramatically sped up uh, the performance of deep learning to a point where it was then uh, relevant to enterprises. Ah, uh, that's 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 interesting, and that's why companies like like Nvidia, for example, have pivoted. If you go to their website, they've pivoted away from selling graphics cards to PCs, and 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 they're all about AI and uh, self-driving cars now, right? Yeah, and the reason why that is is because GPUs have a lot of parallel processing, uh, and that was kind of a legacy thing that was relevant to graphics processing, um, and that basically means that they're good at doing lots of small calculations simultaneously very, very fast. Not necessarily complex calculations, but just lots of them very quickly. And this was really like relevant to um, deep learning training and inference and enabled systems to run a lot faster on, on GPUs. I think uh, as well that it's worth mentioning that there's kind of common challenges around deep learning, which I've kind of alluded to, like there's training and there's inference. Uh, some vendors are trying to address both with what one platform, while others are building systems that are really like specialized around, say, inference. And you can kind of go into this market in a more segmented way again, uh, looking at the location as, as to where you might want to run um, inference or training of deep learning algorithms. So uh, you might be looking to do that in the cloud, uh, on a data center, or on an on-premise server, or even on an edge device. So hardware vendors are not only sort of specializing in uh, training or inference, but also in the location of where these things need to take place. And they all have their own constraints and challenges, again, if you like. So it's becoming quite like a, a segmented market. Absolutely. So uh, the vendors that you mentioned there, so how are these guys innovating in this area? Well, I think like you mentioned before, uh, NVIDIA, it's kind of impossible not to talk about this area without speaking about about them. And um, uh, obviously GPUs are leading most of the benchmarks in relation to deep learning. And they've recently launched a, a new GPU architecture for AI called Ampere. And the improvements in performance are really quite dramatic. And I thought I'd just highlight this and it's and it's really pushing the rest of the players in this space forward. So just an example, uh, the state of the art natural language processing uh, algorithm is called Google BERTS. And apparently Ampere will improve training by up to three times and inference by up to six times on their previous generation. And to put that in context, uh, a sort of base version of, of Google BERT's natural language processing algorithm would take 16 GPUs uh, of the previous generation uh, V100, uh, Tesla V100 that is, around seven days to train. So this three times improvement in training will reduce that time to around sort of two and a half days. And uh, they've managed to achieve that by improving the performance of their tensor cores, uh, which is like the the cores inside the GPU that kind of do the heavy lifting in terms of deep learning uh, by 2x. So they're really worth talking about and they're kind of sort of pushing forward the sort of best in class industry standard and setting the bar for everyone else in the industry. Um, another company that's really worth mentioning is Graphcore. Uh, they're a startup based in the UK. They're well funded. They've raised around 400 million pounds and they've developed a system that's really you know, not uh, not coming from a legacy of something else like graphics processing units, but really what they say is focused on um, advanced emerging AI techniques, and, and they're calling it the IPU. And uh, so the advantage of the IPU is that they've 
positioned memory on the same die as the AI processing. And that's significant because if, if you look at, say, a, a GPU system, memory typically sits off the GPU. And what they've done is they build lots of you know, very specialist interlinking networking systems. So the GPU can move back and forth very fast between uh, the memory which sits off it. But GraphCore is claiming that because the, the, the memory is sitting on, on the same piece of silicon, they have an advantage for a sort of certain range of emerging AI techniques. And an example of this is uh, one of their early access customers, which is a hedge fund, um, was trying to train a quite an advanced AI algorithm called a, uh, a Markov chain Monte Carlo algorithm, which I'm sure you're very familiar with, Miles. Uh, and it's used uh, in finding. <laughs> Absolutely, I uh, I read about them every night. Oh, I bet, I bet. Um, and they're used in financial modeling. And the company found that out of the box, deploying this algorithm on GraphCore's IPU, they were able to get a 26 times speed up when trading trading this algorithm compared to the GPU. So they're really trying. To, they're really being able to find some, perhaps some more niche areas, but areas where they've they've got an advantage over Nvidia in the space, perhaps. Uh, the final company that I really think that it's worth mentioning here is Intel. Um, Intel have a really sort of strong offering in respect to software in, in the AI market. So they have well-used platforms uh, for analytics and vision. Called, they've got a system called uh, Analytic Zoo um, for sort of data analytics in AI and also a system called Open Vino, which is very powerful for image recognition, again, used widely. Um, Intel up to this point haven't had such an impressive story on the hardware side, but earlier this year, they purchased a company called Habana Labs, which had been developing sort of more specialist AI systems and had already delivered a platform for inference. Um, so I think the combination of the purchase of Habana Labs, uh, as well as like, Intel's existing capabilities in software could make for a really interesting challenge um, to the likes of NVIDIA uh, when they start to bring more of the Habana Lab systems to market. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of innovation covered there. I hope there, Miles. No, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting how you're saying that um, there are some organizations like uh, like NVIDIA who have the pre-existing technology on GPUs that have kind of pivoted to this new business model and built on that. When there are more um, uh, other companies that are innovating completely different ways of doing things that don't involve GPUs. So ultimately, what we're seeing then is a huge amount of innovation going on. So could you give us a little bit of an overview of the market in Europe? How's that developing? There's quite a lot of major developments happening at the moment. And I think one of the first things to mention here is that not only is the technology maturing, but so are the end users. Um, and what I mean by that is now a lot of organizations are getting on to perhaps their second or third implementation of different AI systems within their business. And they've gone from a, a point of basically just looking to deliver AI applications, which, as we know, are so powerful, um, to a point where they're now not just thinking about delivery, they're, they're thinking about doing it in like a much more optimized fashion. And what that means for kind of the hardware vendors in this space is that it's creating an opportunity for, for those systems that um, are perhaps more optimized around a particular process or, or can deliver uh, applications at sort of 
a considerably lower price point driven by the users. Uh, so I think that's one important trend to mention. Like another thing that's really important in terms of the uh, AI hardware market is actually the, the growth of the AI software platforms market. So IDC conducted a study recently and we found that 62% of organizations that are sort of already developing AI plan to use AI software platforms in future uh, to support their development of AI systems. And the reason why that's important is in some cases, uh, AI software platforms take not just you know, the management on the software side, but on the hardware side as well. Um, so you can have like a fully managed AI software platform that deals with everything that you might need to deal with um, for, from an end user's perspective. And the shift there means that it's no longer like the focus of the end users to really deal with the hardware, if you like. And um, typically the AI software platform vendors themselves are very, very capable in, in the hardware space in terms of programming these systems. So the stickiness of say having really good software in this space, which is something that NVIDIA has experienced, they, you know, they have their CUDA software and it, it's loved by developers. That might be less important as more users look to deliver AI through software platforms. These are companies that are very uh, well versed in uh, using different types of uh, hardware systems and will will be sort of okay to build out the optimizations for those themselves and that could like open up the market to potentially more challenges in in the space i believe definitely um so if our listeners wanted to hear more about this jack is there any more resources we could offer to them well if you'd like to sort of learn a bit more about the specifics as to why particular architectures are good for say deep learning or um some of the other algorithms prevalent in the AI market. Uh, we've actually just released a report looking at the entire area and giving a lot more detail on as to the vendors involved. There's also a, a blog post, I believe, going up on the IDC website as well. So there's two things I can point you to there. Fantastic. We'll put the links for those in the description of the podcast so our listeners can uh, follow up and have a look if they're interested. So thank you for that overview, Jack. It's um, It's been really great speaking to you today. Um, but uh, for our listeners, we have a special treat. We also have another member of the AI um, research team with us. We have Neil Ward-Dutton on the phone too. Hello, Neil. Hey, Miles. Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. And I believe you're just going to give us a quick roundup of some um, important news that's happened in the AI space recently. Yeah, well, we don't want to big it up too much. But, um, you know, on, on all of these uh, AI podcast episodes, we try and blend some some deeper thinking stuff, which I think Jack has done really well, uh, with a, a bit of an update on what's happening in the market in Europe. Uh, so that's my job this time. And I've got two stories to share. Um, the first, which actually ties into some of what Jack was just saying around skills, um, is the news that Royal Dutch Shell, which is, uh, of course, Anglo-Dutch oil company, they've been working with online training company uh, Udacity to train their workers in AI technologies and techniques and to try and really scale that up. And, and it's the scale that makes this uh, particularly interesting to me, at least. Now, Shell says that about 2,000 of its 82,000 employees worldwide have to, th to this point uh, either expressed interest in their AI offerings, which are completely voluntary. This isn't like a, a mandatory thing, or they've been approached by their managers about taking the courses. And the courses cover everything from Python programming to, to training neural networks. 
Uh, and, and it's clearly got an ambition to scale this much further than 2000 employees. Uh, and Shell sees this as fulfilling three purposes. And I think it's really worthwhile just quickly talking about all three of these, because this is really relevant to every large company. First, it's moving to try and develop new sources of energy and new ways to bring energy to customers. And it's aiming, I believe, to spend about $2 billion on new energy technologies and distribution channels by the end of this year, 2020. And it sees AI as crucial to helping it develop this business, uh, which it sees as inherently a kind of digital business. So this is kind of about upskilling. Um, but second, it knows that it needs to manage its existing kind of heritage oil business more efficiently and more effectively. So things like predictive maintenance, for example, are, are becoming increasingly uh, important and, and moving really high up the agenda. And lastly, the company sees this as being about attracting younger workers who would not traditionally think about entering the energy industry. This is uh, this is an organization, very large organization with a very long heritage, really starting to embrace uh, the need to upskill workers to drive transformation more effectively. And separately, but just as interestingly, I think Udacity is also working with BMW to create some custom training content around AI for business leaders. And we're seeing these kinds of moves happening with increasing frequency as large organizations in particular. They're seeing not only the potential of educating their workforces in AI uh, to help engage them effectively in new transformations. But they're also seeing the risks of not educating, which are often around things like, you know, talent attraction, but also in the fields of ethical use and implementation strategy. Right. So if we can increase the data literacy in our organizations, that's going to help us do things well and do the right things. Now, the second item I'd like to share is specifically around bias in AI. I know we've touched on this a couple of times, and it also is part of that training and education discussion I just talked about. Here, um, the story is a, a group of researchers from a, a range of institutions, including OpenAI, Google, the Alan Turing Institute, um, Cambridge University, uh, recently called for, uh, in their words, a robust toolbox of mechanisms to support the verification of claims about AI systems and development processes. Fundamentally, what they're saying is um, we can't just rely on very scientific methods done internally by scientific people to test whether the AI algorithms are working well or not. Right. So we can't just kind of ask uh, the police to police themselves, as it were. So specifically what they're proposing is that organizations learn from uh, bug bounty programs that software vendors commonly employ, actually, uh, and start to explore the idea of uh, you might call them bias bounty programs. So here, the idea is that users or third parties like maybe AI researchers or members of the public or uh, maybe uh, journalists could search for bias in AI algorithms and then claim a reward if they submit uh, if they submit an issue that's then verified. And although, you know, there's undoubtedly a lot of details that need to be worked out to set up a program like this, it's definitely time for organizations to start to think in more concrete ways about how ethical guidelines are going to be implemented and enforced. You know, it's fine to have uh, a manifesto about, you know, how you're only going to use AI in certain ways or how you're going to eliminate bias. But concretely, what are you going to do to make sure that those things happen? Um, and what's clear is that relying solely on the makers and the deployers of AI algorithms 
to detect bias in their own systems. Like I said, you know, relying on the the, the enforcers to enforce their own uh, work, if you like. I think it's going to it's likely to lead us all to fall short. Um, but if we can open up quality assurance to the wider market, as is so often the case in other fields, we stand a much better chance overall of spotting and fixing issues. Um, something that I often hear said is that sunlight is the best disinfectant. Um, and I think this is definitely the case here. So this is one to watch. OK, well, thank you very much, Neil. And I'm afraid that is all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Jack for helping us out with the details around the AI hardware market and to Neil for giving us a roundup of the news. Hopefully you found this interesting and uh, we could give you some thoughts um, that you'd like to share with us, perhaps some views or opinions. Uh, please do get in touch. You can find us on LinkedIn, on Twitter and on SoundCloud. We'd love to hear your opinions and thoughts on what we discussed today. And of course, please do subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. We will be releasing content every few weeks and uh, we'd love to uh, see you again. Thank you all very much and see you next time.